Clubhouse. Do you love Christmas? Do you love Christmas movies? Do you wish it was Christmas time year round? Well, do we have a podcast for you? Welcome to the 52 Weeks of Christmas podcast. Whoa, 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 Clark. We're keeping this show family-friendly. Where's the Tylenol? Welcome to week seven of the 52 Weeks of Christmas podcast. This is Caroline. And this is Mike. Tonight we're talking about the 2005 black comedy film, not a Christmas movie, (laughs) Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Uh, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang was written and directed by Shane Black. Uh, This is actually Shane Black's first movie that he directed, his directorial debut. Uh, For my purposes, I know Shane Black is the guy who went on to direct Iron Man 3, which I actually like very much and is ostensibly much more of a Christmas movie than this piece of garbage. Oh, no. (laughs) Well, geez, Mike, you're really you're really uh, hiding what you think about this. Film. Yeah, yeah, guys, this was a mistake. We <laughs> we had six great weeks of Christmas movies, some more oh Christmassy than others. This was not. This was this was not good, guys. This I, was not good. Not good. There was a lot during this where I was like, "What is happening right now? Why are we watching this?" And besides the fact that she's wearing a Santa Claus bustier. A teeny tiny dress. I don't know what this has to do with Christmas. Also, scantily clad women dressed as reindeer trapped in cages. Yes. So, yes. And, and although, wait, can I give you a hot tip on that one? Oh yeah, or please. A, a little fast fact. Yeah. So turns out that Robert Downey Jr. did those types of like live art installations as like a side job. So that was some sort of little nod to him that they had those like boxed people. Well, you've just described the issue I think I have with this movie kind of in a nutshell. This movie feels a lot more like therapy. It feels a lot (laughs) more like uh, uh, it's a very inside movie. So I I, I am feeling a little crazy um, because I am an East Coast guy. I don't get the insider-nish of this movie. This movie seems to appeal very much and very specifically to Hollywood people. And if you are a Hollywood person, I think you probably actually really enjoy this movie. Right? Because I, I have to think so. I think if you're in the industry, maybe you're you're seeing little bits and pieces here that ring true to you that are poking fun at different aspects of the business and maybe that's really funny to you. Um, but I most definitely felt like an outsider. So this movie is very much an insider kind of movie. And I think, and, and it doesn't really seem to hide that fact, all of the mugging at the camera, the, the, the breaking the fourth wall that Robert Downey Jr. Oh, I should say. So kiss, kiss, bang, bang starts Robert Downey Jr. Val Kilmer and Michelle Monaghan, uh, who is still pretty unknown at this point. Um, and Corbin Burnson has a significant supporting role also. So Robert Downey Jr. spends a lot of time 
breaking the fourth wall and talking directly to the audience throughout the movie. You know, he's retelling this story that he, an experience that he's had. And at the very end of the movie, says when uh, when Val Kilmer's character, Gay Perry, uh, comes back to life, un- uh, you know, despite all odds, talks about how studios hate the downer ending and they always give notes. And so that's why he's back and don't ask too many questions about it. It feels very personal <laughs> to Shane Black's experience. Right? Now, Shane Black had been ma- he had been writing and selling screenplays since like Lethal Weapon in 1987. But this is the first time he ever got a chance to actually direct a movie. And he had a lot of rejections along his career. And I think he's channeling a lot of those feelings that many people in the industry have. I think that's why it works as an insider movie, because people can laugh at it and identify it if you've been through the process. For for me, it is just a baffling series of shots that don't really make sense or or they're not cohesive. I I find the homophobia to not have aged particularly well. But I think I'm the only one, or you and I are the only one, though, because I look at the reviews for this movie, Caroline, and even I, I, I looked up recent reviews. I looked up people who maybe revisited it recently, and it still is kind of lauded as being a good movie, as a, as a fun action, uh, neo-noir detective film with crisp performances by Downey Jr. and Val Kilmer. And I think they do have decent performances. I actually like right. the two of them. I like Val Kilmer in, in, in particular. Yeah. And, and, and so if you go back to the beginning, like, and I, I talked about, so Val Kilmer's character, Gay Perry, he, he is very out and in front about his homosexuality, the character. And it, it plays into a lot of the movie's dialogue. A lot of the movie's dialogue centers, a lot of his dialogue centers around his sexual orientation. I, I found it very jarring watching that in 2021. I don't know how you felt, but Shane Black talks about he wrote the character in that way because, as far as he was aware, no one had ever seen kind of a uh, an ass-kicking, door-down-breaking gay character who was big and buff and tough, but also very out and about with his sexual orientation. I mean, I applaud them for that, and I understand that, that there's something to be said for firsts in movies and you know in terms of the plot i mean i think that generally it had this tiny little story that it was trying to tell but it was like a short story that could have been done in like maybe 45 minutes or something that they just kept adding scenes in to try to make it more Mm -hmm. than it was and it just yeah i mean for for the context of this podcast Guys, if you love Christmas movies, skip it 1000%. This is not the movie for you. This the the anyone who tells you that, "Oh, it takes place during Christmas time." It ha- it means nothing. And maybe that's even a joke of it of like Christmas in LA is pool parties, like cuz right. there's like nothing having to do with Christmas. Right. Christmas is, you know, so one of the things that you and I often talk about when we're looking at these Christmas movies or these movies and whether or not they are Christmas movies, we talk about how Christmas plays into the film. And one of the questions we always ask ourselves is could this movie have happened at any other time of the year and would have been exactly the same uh, or unaffected by not taking place during Christmas? And this movie 100% could have taken place at any other time of the year. The fact that it's set in L.A., um, where where it never gets really frosty cold or very wintry, only bolsters that fact. But there are movies that take place during Christmas time in L.A. I'm thinking of, like, Steve Martin's Mixed Nuts, which are 
without a doubt, Christmas movies, even though they're set during sunshiny, you know, warm temperature yes. kind of places. You're also missing, though, the family element mm-hmm. or the gathering of some sort of element. And, right. of course, the hopefulness or joy or belief elements that we have found in our favorite Christmas movies. I agree wholeheartedly. The things I'm looking for in Christmas movies as I'm shaping my thoughts as we go through this podcast, goodwill towards men. The idea of being there for making, trying to make the world a better place or or kind of reaching out. This movie has none of that. These are these are generally unlikable people or likable in a very kind of sarcastic way. Family. The idea of coming together with family has been a mm-hmm. recurring theme. Uh, the idea of hope, like you said, uh, you know, uh, of hope and belief in a thing that is not factually provable. The, the idea that hope burns inside all of us. And I'd say also an, an imagination slash magical component. The idea of the like little tinkly noises, ding, 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 and then something magical happens, or or you're whisked away or caught up in the idea of your imagination coming true. I think all of those are themes of a Christmas movie set in and around Christmas time. For me, this movie really fails on all of those points. I think the Christmas, de- I think there's Christmas decoration in this movie. There's a few Christmas songs, but I think it's all dressing. It's all shoehorned in there to say it happens at Christmas time because I think Shane Black probably likes Christmas, and so he wanted to tell this detective noir story at Christmas time. But it's not a Christmas movie to me. I pose to you, if you're if you're feeling brave and bold, <laughs> could you make a devil's advocate argument that this is a Christmas movie? Okay. Well, Robert Downey Jr.'s character probably we could. I, I'm going to make a lot of. I'm going to make a lot of assumptions. Okay, oh, in order to go through to. this. I okay, so, yeah. ready? Robert Downey Jr.'s character is only in the toy store because it's Christmas time, and he's looking for a hard to find toy, and he's being guided by a family member who he's trying to uh, find that special present for. And this is the setup for the movie, because if he doesn't have to go on the run getting caught doing this, then this entire movie doesn't take place. So that part that like for the same reason of uh, Miracle on 34th Street, that all the shoppers are looking for their presents at Christmas and they can't find that perfect one. This is the same setup as that. How dare you compare this movie to Mirror? You like what I'm doing? You're daring. How dare you? We're keeping going. Okay, so then... We, we we get into this entire plot where he's going out where he has this dream, this unbelievable dream, right, to make it in Hollywood. He has this belief, right, in his little self. He's going to follow his little, his little miracle moment here because it was a miracle when the police officer is just like, oh, sorry, in the middle of his little audition. That was like a tinkle, tinkle, tinkle moment, really, because he should have been busted, but he wasn't. Something magical happened just then. Then he heads off to Hollywood, and you get family because you've got this guy. We have Corbin Burnson, and he's like the dad, and he's got his daughter, and they're reconciling, and that's very family-oriented. And then you have the girl. What was her name? Michelle Uh Michelle is Monaghan. the actress. Har- Har- Harmony is the character. Yeah, good old Harmony, right? Looking for Harmony, trying to uh, figure out everything with her sister, and I mean, come on now. This is a lot of family. You mean elements. the sister who's the victim of uh, the casual sexual abuse that the movie throws in there? That that right. wonderful heartwarming Christmas theme of incest and incest. sexual abuse. Right, but but let me throw this in there. But she believes in a character from a book, 
And because she believes in that character from the book, she thinks that someone else could be her real father. Mm, see where I'm going here? So then they go on this magical journey, right? And they have to, they wear, they wear Christmas outfits and they see reindeer. And they even have this, this moment where they have to, they like fall from the sky, right? But she like miraculously is okay. And there's that one really miracle moment where Robert Downey Jr. is hanging from the corpse's arm. And if that isn't really a miracle, like <laughs> that he didn't just rip that arm right off, then come on. The absurdest idea of death keeping him alive. There you go. See, there's so much to this that you could go with, but it is not worth it. You guys don't. Just don't. My brain literally hurts from listening to you. I know. Try, I just but tried. But I, did you see how I tried? I, I, you did a great job. You did a great job. And uh, obviously there are people. There's friendship. With Val and Robert. Is there, is there real friendship there? <laughs> I don't know. Me and you watched some extra stuff and like, oh, those interviews afterwards were pretty weird. For sure. And there is friendship, you know, outside of the movie. So you know, Robert Downey Jr., this movie was really the start of the comeback of his career. Who His career had floundered because of his, his addiction issues and he had some legal troubles, um, which, again, they all poke fun of in this movie. There's a great line about him having some priors back in New York and that was kind yeah. of a real thing for Robert Jr. And in solidarity, Val Kilmer actually didn't drink at all during the production of this movie in solidarity with Robert Downey Jr. They actually met at a holiday party, uh, at a Hollywood party. And a week later, Val Kilmer got the script, said yes, and then found out Robert Downey Jr. had already been cast and was elated at the See? idea. But look at that. That's like the magic of Christmas. <laughs> I think what I'm hearing, though, is that the the behind-the-scenes production aspect of the movie is much more Christmas-like than the finished product on the I, screen. I maybe, yeah. 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 Let's yeah, jump yeah. into some fast facts, Mike, because I know there's some fast facts we can throw out here. Did you know that Michelle Monaghan once joked that were there a sequel, it should be called Kiss Kiss Gang Bang? Isn't that Christmassy? I mean, who doesn't like getting your, you know, getting a little bit closer during the season? Some of the early titles for this movie included LAPI and just Bang. But it was actually Val Kilmer who suggested the 60s spy phrase, kiss, kiss, bang, bang, uh, to Shane Black. And he, he seized upon it because it balanced the sexy aspect of the movie together with the action aspect of the movie. What was that thing that you, I know you and I read, but I'm, I'm not, it's not coming to my brain exactly. But it was where um, kiss, kiss, bang, bang is, is what some country calls James Bond. There's a whole James Bond aspect to the idea of the spy genre embodied by... James Bond films because there's a sexy component where he always gets the girl and the Bond girl and then there's obviously the action component to it. Uh, it was also a lyric or a title of a song from Thunderball, which is a James Bond movie. It was called Mr. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Um, mm. That was recorded by Shirley Bassey and then Dionne Warwick. Yeah, so there's a whole James Bond spy genre connection to that title. Uh, for Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Uh, and the Shane, Blake, Shane Black really liked it because, like I said, it, it, it brought forward what he was trying to do here with this neo-noir uh, idea. Here's a fast fact. The mansion at the, at the opening party, the opening Hollywood party that we see at the beginning of the film, that's Corbin Burnson's character's mansion, is actually Shane Black's mansion, the director and writer of the film that was actually filmed on location at his home. Not wow. bad. Not bad being a Hollywood screenwriter, huh? I guess not. (laughs) That's funny. See, and that's where this all gets into, like, where this feels very indulgent and very much like they were just putting some version of reality, and I'm saying some version of reality, with obvious 
you know, crazy twists on here. Yeah, but... it's full of winks and nods. I really think if you lived in in Hollywood or you were of that of that industry or really appreciated that world, this movie probably calls to you and speaks to you in a way that it doesn't to me because I don't have that experience. You have a great story about Hollywood that when we were watching this resonated with you. Oh, well, I was out in L.A. like two years ago, and I, 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 it struck me when we were watching this movie because one of the characters comes up and says, what do you do, instead of, like, what is your name? I think it happens and, a couple of times in the movie, actually. Yeah. yeah, and I was, like, laughing because, you know, he doesn't do anything, and, and, and I, you know, I, I feel like whatever I do, I never know how to answer that. <laughs> and so when I was out in L.A., that is the first thing they would ask you. Like, I went to several parties, and they would be like, what do you do? And, and I would be like, I'm Caroline. <laughs> it's like, they don't care. They just want to know what you can do for them. And the same, uh, we have friends who have uh, industry people in their family, and we went to a, a huge, large birthday party gathering, and there were tons of people from the industry there, and same same deal. The, there was no, hi, I'm Joe, what's your name? It was all, hi, you know, I'm like a director, what do you do? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, hi. It's so weird. Weird. It's very weird. It's very weird. <laughs> well, I, I guess it's so that you know what face to put on or something with this person. I don't really know. But I mean, it's what can they do for you? I what think that's exactly it. I think it's the cutting to the chase that there's so much BS in the Hollywood scene and people yeah. are always trying to get ahead, trying to get their big break that they don't even want to waste time on you if you can't help them in some way. Not even a little bit. Yeah, completely. All right, give me give me another fast fact. Johnny Knoxville, originally uh, set to star as Harry Lockhart before Robert Downey Jr. takes the role. Harrison Ford was being looked at for the role of Gay Perry. What kind of movie would that have been then? Oh, my. I don't know. <laughs> he would have played a very different version of Gay Perry. I think he would have been a very quiet Gay Perry. That That's hard, because I don't think of Harrison as, as like... He's not the same type of personality as Val at all. No, not at all. And I think his machismo is so central to his personality. I think it would have been like, I'm gay, but I also like breasts. You know, I think it would have been a lot of that. You know, like, <laughs> or like, he, he, he would have said like <laughs> gay lines and then like stared at M- Michelle Monaghan's chest. You know, it would have yeah, been like a combination sure. of that, like smack around the butt kind of thing. Ay, ay, ay. I mean, what Christmas movie doesn't have fag hag in it? I think that's oh, in basically every movie goodness. that we've watched. Listen, that's a quote straight from the movie. So, boys and girls, if you're listening to this, this was not a movie for little guys and uh, definitely uh, not family friendly. Which I do want to say one weird, one weird strange part about this is that actually I thought there was going to be a little bit more kiss, kiss, bang, bang, to be honest with you. They set it up many times that I thought there was going to be some action. And then, no. There was never any actual sex moments. So, I mean, there definitely it's alluded to and there's some brief uh, nudity. But, it, it, I mean, the, the one nude scene that Michelle Monaghan sets up turns in more to a snuggle fest. And then a fight. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. real quick. So there's no, I mean, it doesn't ever go anywhere. It's just, it's, yeah, I, I don't, I found it to be quite a tease. It did have a dog eating a human finger and then pooping it out. So. Oh, my God. Okay. Another so... Christmas trope uh, nailed off the list. <laughs> So, Christmas. What a Christmas cliche, right? I mean, how many reindeer Eating have we seen a... eat body parts and then poop them out? Gross. And then sew it back on, because that's sanitary. Oh, God, all of this. I don't hear any of this. Oh, my gosh. All right, Mike, we are going to get to our last Fast Facts, and then we're going to jump right into our Jingle Bells rating. So be thinking about it. Be thinking about it. All right. All right. Do you have another Fast Fact for us? 
How about um, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang? Really, for you guys wondering, how in the heck is this even a movie? It's a cult hit. I mean, it made $4 million during its theatrical run. Pretty bad, huh? So, I don't know. It's a cult hit, you guys. And maybe it's something, if you want to watch something that you just want to be... It reminded me of Tropic Thunder. Remember that? It was, like, very inappropriate, but then also it was very, like, Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, I think that's just kind of... had all that elements. I think Robert Downey Jr. might just be an interesting kind of avant-garde kind of guy when he's not doing Marvel films. I think there's a whole generation of people who only know, really, Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark. And, And to be clear... This movie is what allowed him to get the role of Tony Stark. So we have Kiss Kiss Kiss, Kiss Bang Bang to thank. If you are a fan of the comic book Marvel series, this movie put Robert Downey Jr. on Jon Favreau's radar to cast him as Tony Stark in those movies. And this was like his training wheels to being Tony Stark in a lot of ways. Oh, for sure. Yeah, a lot of the same it's, swagger. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, there there's something about Robert Downey Jr., though, and I think one of the things that uh, we both bumped on, I think we talked about this, and I felt definitely felt it was, there's a, there's a smug arrogance about him, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I think it's just a part of his, it's just kind of part of his personality that... Uh, a playing like a humble guy doesn't ever really come off well. He's he's always much more Tony Stark than he's ever someone who's humble. I think part of it is like is that feel that he like grew up in Hollywood. I mean, I feel like Charlie Sheen is of the same mm. cut of the same cloth where mm. it's just like there's a little smirkiness that's always going on. He's got a little bit of like I know something you don't know or right. like I've been here so many more times than you have. There's right. absolutely nothing you could do to make me feel uncomfortable. Um, that's just him. Yeah, but it doesn't work when you're supposed to be playing a guy who is a petty thief who lucked into right. a screen test out in L.A. and you right. don't know anyone and you don't know the business. Being the guy who's <laughs> smirking like, yeah, this is my house. You know, like, I know this word. Like, that doesn't really work. Right. No. There's a little bit of a disconnect there. It's so weird. I would suggest watching this movie any other time other than Christmas. That- yeah, this would actually be a fine, like, let's just do some sort of wacky off-the-wall pick for this evening. Go for this one. Go ahead. Give it a whirl and see if you think it's like crazy. For one good thing, it's very short. Uh, yeah, it is very short and then it's blessedly over. Yeah. So, <laughs> all right. We're 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 just about up to the time where we're going to give our Jingle Bell ratings for this movie as a Christmas movie. But before that, and while you're yes. thinking about that, Caroline, I'm going to play Noodling. you a clip from our week eight movie, our movie coming okay. up next week. Let me know if you know it. Okay. Hey, i tell you what I'm going to give you, Snakes. I'm going to give you to the count of ten... To get your ugly, yellow, no good keister off my property before I pump your guts full of lead. All right, Johnny, I'm sorry. I'm going. One, two, ten. Love it. Um, wow, this is the second week in a row you played me a gun clip having to do with our Christmas um movie. So no, that's uh, true. <laughs> but this one I know, this one is definitely Home Alone. I'm looking forward to that it's one. It's 1990s Home Alone. <laughs> that one's gonna be excellent. I'm glad to talk a little Kevin McAllister. Come on now. Actually, let, uh, let me play you this one instead. This one, I oh, should have no. just done this clip and put you right in the you mood. You should have? Yeah. Okay. Listen to this. Kevin! 
I, I, you, you, <laughs> do it. You would you, you would have just gotten it right from there. So. Oh my god, that's super funny. Okay, we're ready for Jingle Bell ratings. I am giving this a Jingle Bell rating of one Jingle Bell, one sad Jingle Bell, and that is because I really did not think this was a great movie to begin with, and um, but it did have a couple moments that made me guffaw. So I will give it a one Jingle Bell rating. Mike? I am also giving this one Jingle Bell because it has a couple of Christmas songs in it. Uh, and I like oh, I, I love Christmas music. And Michelle Monaghan looks, uh, while looks deranged, I think she looks super cute in her uh, little sexy Christmas outfit. So she gets uh, the movie Garners a one on the back of music and Michelle Monaghan. Well, who knew we would have such a an outlier here, Mike? I had no idea that there was going to be one so far out there, but I'm glad we checked out something else so that, you know, we can we can really just examine the entire Jingle Bell rating scale. I didn't even think we'd be hanging around town in the in the ones, but but here we are. So Thank you guys so much for listening. This is Caroline. And this is Mike. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the 52 Weeks of Christmas podcast at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you could leave us a five-star rating, that would be great so that we don't have to use you as living art sculptures during Christmas time. Appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you.